Welcome to Gateway Church Wirral Online. We're so delighted that you're with us this morning. So great that you can be a part of our live streamed gathering. Just to welcome you to this space and what we're all about. Um, to say that we as a church, we're all about seeing people meet with God, encounter him for all his goodness and his grace and for lives to be changed by him. As a church, we want to see a world transformed, made better and better through every life transformed by the grace of God. So our hope and our prayer for you today, meet with Jesus in the things that we're saying, in the things that we're singing, in the way that we're opening up the word of God, which is alive for us today. We want you to know Jesus, know that he loves you, know that he has a plan for your life. And as we're going through our gathering this morning, do please connect with us here in this live stream space. You can fill in our connection card. The tab, I think, is at the top of your screen. Request prayer if you'd like to. There are great, friendly people who would love to pray with you. And do just connect with us in any and every way that you'd love to. As a church, we gather. That's what we're about today. When we come to the close of our gathering, I'll tell you how you can connect with us going forward into the week. So have a really great time. Be blessed. Enjoy yourself and enjoy Jesus, we pray. Uh, we're going to stand and we're going to begin tonight. Um, we gather at the, at the conclusion of a scattered Sunday um, so that we can celebrate what God is doing um, and so that we can uh, journey together into what is next in Christ. And so um, as we begin, we want to pray. Um, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you this evening for your gospel of grace. We want to thank you, dear Lord and Savior, that once we were not a people, but now we are a people. That, Lord Jesus Christ, once we had not received mercy, but now we have. Our desire this evening, Lord God, is to be reminded um, in a sense, to recapture the wonder, the glory of the cross and of your gospel of grace. Lord Jesus Christ, we wish to be people who are compelled by your love. And so, God, we ask that you would help us in these things. As we sing songs of the gospel, as we reflect upon moments of gospel grace, as we open the scriptures to better understand, to be thrilled and to be moved by the gospel, we ask that you, Holy Spirit of the living God, would guide us in this task. Amen. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ compels us. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. This evening, church, it's our joy and our privilege to be able to sing of the love of Christ. 
to sing of the gospel. We recognize that the gospel, it is for us more than just fuel for our singing. It's fuel for our living. It's the kind of fuel that might send us such that we might seem to be beside ourselves. It's the fuel that moves us such that we fear the Lord and persuade others. This is what the gospel does. And so this evening, we are intending our gathering to be something of a missionary conference. I don't know whether you thought of it that way or you thought of yourself in that way. But if you're the kind of person who's been formed by the gospel, such that you don't care whether you seem beside yourself for the sake of the gospel, if you're such a person who's been formed by the gospel so that you fear God and live a life accordingly, if you're such a person so that you fear God and persuade others in the way of the gospel, if you're the kind of person who is compelled by the love of Christ, compelled, moved, actively moved, then, then actually you're a missionary. You're a missionary in this world. You're a missionary in every context and place and with every person that you might find yourself. And so this is a missionary gathering this evening. We gather because we, we want to celebrate. We gather because we want to celebrate the mission of God. We want to celebrate the kingdom of God. We want to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we find joy in gathering, it's because we're finding joy in the gospel. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find that Christians, our level of joy in the gathering, it waxes and wanes like the coming and going of the moon in the sky. And the truth of the matter is, our level of joy in the gathering is directly related to our level of joy in the gospel. It's directly related to our level of engagement with the mission of God. And if we can shift our thinking and say that our gathering is because that we are, we're so compelled by the love of Christ and the way of the gospel that we delight to gather to celebrate that mission, to be inspired and equipped into that mission, and there's a great deal more joy in the gathering. You're welcome to grab a seat for a moment or two. Um, as I say, this is, this is why we gather. This is the form of our gathering. Um, I should probably say, if, if there are folks with little ones here tonight, I'm afraid our basement room is off limits. Uh, with the terrible weather, we found that an awful lot of water has come from somewhere. Um, and whilst it is drying out, I'm afraid it's not available right now. If you do need a quiet place to go with littlies, we do have a room just off there. Um, and you're more than welcome to use it just down at the bottom of the stairs as we go through this evening. We'll try and be brief. Um, in a moment or two, I'm going to bring us to consider again the gospel and to delight ourselves in the gospel. Um, but before we get there, I did say to those who host and facilitate and lead our transformed communities, I was going to ask for a few um, stories this evening. And so I'm going to do that. Um, and, and while I'm just kind of sharing a couple more thoughts as to why we gather, I wonder, would Ron, Grace, would you mind and just come and share a couple of minutes each, um, either about something that's from today or from the last 18 months. 18 months, that's a pretty big window, isn't it? I'm sure there's something. Um, and we're just going to share from a couple of our transformed communities about, um, about engaging with the mission of God. But while they're coming and getting ready, 
all looking for the nearest exit. I'm not sure which it is. But while they're coming, you can come and, yeah, don't worry. Um, I want to share again about gathering and scattering, and whether it's for folks who are here in the building or folks on our live stream. Again, um, the joy of the gathering. Why do we gather? What is it about? Our watchwords as a church, especially as we've been able to regather in person, uh, we've been drawing them from Hebrews 10. Are you comparing notes? Okay. Um, while we um, gather, our watchwords come from Hebrews 10. And in Hebrews 10, we are encouraged not to forsake um, meeting together, assembling together, as is the manner of some, but to do so all the more as the day approaches, as we understand that our time here on this earth is limited, whether it be limited by the length of our own natural lives or whether it be limited by the fact that Jesus is coming again. And if you didn't know that, let me tell you, Jesus is coming again. It's like, yeah, okay, good. I'm glad there's a few people excited about that. Um, I, you get more and more excited about it, don't you, the longer you've been a, a Christian. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful and, and great thing. But in Hebrews 10, it says, yes, gather. Yes, Jesus is coming again. But it gives us some very helpful reasons why we ought to gather. In Hebrews 10, you go and read it for yourself. It says that we hold fast to this gospel, to this teaching that we've received. Now, here's a wonder. Jesus is already holding fast to you. Did you know that? Did you know that God will uphold you with his strong right hand? Does anybody need that? Um, if you don't think you need that, well, then you're mistaken. Uh, we need that. But, but the Bible does invite us to hold fast to the gospel. Don't just take it for granted. These songs of formation this evening, they're a gift to you to hold fast to the gospel. We're to hold fast to the gospel, but we're also to do some things that are, that are people would as well, something that is God would. And the two things that we're invited to do with respect to one another and respect to others in this world are these. One is to encourage one another. Do you know what that word encourage is about? Encouragement is not telling somebody that they look particularly nice on this evening or that they smell delightful or anything like that. Although you might um, look particularly lovely and smell delightful. Um, encouragement, the real meaning of the word is to fill one another with courage. That's what it actually means. It's, it means to recognize the source of our courage in Christ. We pray for it, don't we? And it means to encourage one another. Oh, you've got it. Excellent. And that is what we do when we gather. We've been saying as a church, I know we have our live stream available as well as our in-person gatherings. And perhaps our decision making based over an awful long period of time has been based upon um, what corresponds to our levels of fear or comfort. It's like, are we afraid of gathering in person or, or, or not? Do we find it to be more comfortable to gather in person or more comfortable to be via the live stream? Now, I appreciate that these might have been the things that have informed our decision-making in times past, but it can't be the way going forward. Our decision-making must be based upon this. Do we take the Word of God seriously? Do we? And if we do, where and how can we best fill one another with courage? And you've got to answer that question for yourself. As a follower of Jesus and a committed member of the church of Jesus Christ, it's where and how are you filling your brothers and sisters with courage best? You've got to answer that. You've got to say, yes, I am fully able, called by God and equipped to do that best when I gather in person with my brothers and sisters. Or I'm fully equipped and totally called by God to best do that via the live stream environment. Take the word of God seriously. 
Make it the test for your living. And in Hebrews 10, as well as exhorting us to encourage one another, it also says, stir up one another towards love and good works. Or in other versions of the Bible, I particularly like this because I, I, I like to provoke. It says, provoke one another towards love and good works. You, you can't imagine me being at all provocative, can you? provoke one another towards love and good works. And the way I understand that in my simple mind is that this seems to be to be a missional call. Because the love and good works are the things in which, which our, our world is in desperate need of. I read just before as we were worshipping from 2 Corinthians 5, and it's the love of Christ that compels. It's, it's the love of Christ that means that we're willing to be, as it were, to appear as though we are not in our right mind for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of people being established in the faith. To stir up one another towards love and good works. Where are you doing that, church? With whom and how are you able to missionally provoke one another? Missionally provoke one another. This is why the church is called to gather. This is why the church is called to gather. We're to encourage one another so that we might together hold fast to the gospel. And we're to provoke one another so that we're actually doing something with the gospel. And you've got to ask yourself, in gathering as a missionary, am I doing that? How am I doing that? Where am I doing that? With whom am I doing that? And if we're not asking ourselves those questions, then we are not biblically gathering. We're not. We are not biblically gathering as the church. We're doing something else. It might look like church. It might sound like church. There might be coffee and cookies at the back like church. But if we're not taking seriously the call of God to Hebrews 10 gather, then it ain't church. Is that really clear? Is that really clear? Someone help me out. I hope that's really clear. And I'm going to keep on saying this every single time I ever get the opportunity to say this. God calls the church to be his church. He builds his church. That's the church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. You build another kind of church, let me tell you, any old gates are going to knock you down. But if you build, or if, rather if Christ is building the church, then that church prevails. That's why we gather. Having said that, why do we scatter? Why do we scatter? How does that look? What's, what's been going on? Two minutes. Is that all right? Thank you. I think it's me. No. <laughs> we, we gather a Love Wood Church Transform community in the Wood Church estate. And um, we, we wanted for a long time to reach out to that estate, um, knowing that it's best to be part of a neighborhood to make a real practical impact to show God's love and kindness and grace. Um, today, we planned to meet up in a picnic in our park. But the British weather wasn't really agreeable to that plan. But kindly um, and encouragingly, if that's a word, 
uh, a member of our transfer community offered their house. So we gathered there. And we had some uh, members of the extended family joining us together. The nice thing when people gather around food is that they open up and chat. And we were blessed and stirred to pray for people who are desperately needing God's touch. And it was a blessing for me knowing that even when plans don't go on as they should be, God can still move. And I felt I was encouraged and the people that we prayed for were encouraged, reminding me that I should carry on doing this, not just on a scattered Sunday. So that's what we do. We want to share God's love in practical ways to people who desperately need it. I think that's roughly two minutes. Am I, am I on? Wonderful. Um, so I am part of the young adults community. Woo! Woo! Um, and so although there's no strict age bracket, we represent the portion of the church who are just starting out into their adult lives, as terrifying as that may be. Um, and it's really, really on our hearts as a community that we want to create a, a sub-family within the family of the church. Um, that gives our young adults a reason to stay in the body of Christ um, as we go out into the world. You know, we've got people who are going off to university. We've got people who are leaving university. Um, and that's a period in time where people can get a little bit lost. And we want to be the reason that they don't. Um, so our community this summer we've been really really blessed we've had quite a few friends come along and, and new faces come along to our, our activities that we've been doing which has been amazing um, and we're really seeing the fruits of that we're definitely a lot closer as a family now and we've just sent our recent students we had our little students send off and we had a beautiful time of just sitting around together sharing advice and encouragement um, and we're just really excited. We're, we're starting a great Bible study together really soon. And so now that we've built these firm foundations, it's all about just building on top of that and creating this community that we want to be a part of. We're not, it's not like we're obligated to be there and turn up, but we want to be there and we want to grow together towards God. Thank you. Can we just appreciate Ronald and Grace just for sharing? <laughs> Whilst technically I did warn all the Transform community people that they might be called upon to share, they had no more warning than me just shouting their names out before that it was going to be them, so I appreciate that. Did you pick up on some of the language when, when Ron talked about extended family? gathering around food, like an actual, you know, biological family would do, and how around food conversation flows, and from conversation the needs are apparent, and we can pray because we believe God meets needs. And did you hear how Grace said that in life, uh, especially in seasons of transition, of which there are many when you're younger, um, it's a time when people can get lost, but we want to make sure that they don't. I think that's a pretty good vision statement for me. When people look like they're getting lost, let's help them to find Jesus. So let's help them to know that they're found. And this is what our transformed communities are all about. Our transformed communities recognize that there are many, many lost people. You and I were lost. And not only did Jesus Christ come and find us, 
but he also used some of his friends to help in the process. Do you remember how it was for you? Do you remember how it was for you? That some of Jesus' friends came and told you that he was looking for you. That's basically how it was. They came and and kind of helped you to understand that that lostness that you were sensing or or beginning to understand wasn't just some kind of malaise of the moment. It was a realization of your fundamental state before God. But that God didn't want to leave you there because he loves you. And he loves you not because you're trying to be lovely or you're trying to earn his grace. He loves you because he loves you. That's incredibly freeing. You don't have to do anything for God to love you. He loves you because he's chosen to love you. And he wants to choose you because he chooses you. Just like he made you because he made you. I find that incredibly freeing. I don't have to be anything for God just to lavish his love upon me. It's absolutely incredible. This evening, we are just going to take a couple of moments, and they're only going to be short moments. We're going to take a couple of moments to consider the gospel. And I'm going to read to you in a moment or two a very short story. Um, It's by an author called Walt Wangering. No idea whether I said his name right. But um, he recently passed away, and I'd never heard of him before. But in his passing, people referenced his work, and I, I read it, and I fell in love with Jesus again. So I would like you to fall in love with Jesus again tonight. And if perhaps you've not fallen in love with Jesus, well, I would love for you to fall in love with Jesus tonight. I'm also going to make reference to um, one of the Moravian readings for today. And I do so, and I I intend for this to be my pattern for us whenever we're gathering on a scattered Sunday, um, that we're going to make reference to one of the Moravian readings because, um, you know, I'm an incredibly stubborn person. Um, (laughs) I really am. I'm, you know, I would would hesitate. Well, I'm probably one of the most stubborn people you're ever going to meet in your life. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm incredibly stubborn. And I have it within me that I want for us as a church to take the Bible seriously. And I want us to be formed by the Bible. There are very few things that God has given for us to be formed by. He's given us a book, the Word of God. He's given us sacraments. He's given us bread and wine. And he's enabled these things to form us by means of the power of the Spirit of God. And that's it. That's it. And really nothing else. And so I want us to take the word of God seriously. In doing so, as a church, we have invited every single person who is a part of our church to follow the, the pattern of these Moravian daily readings. And if, if this sounds like I'm speaking a foreign language to, me, let, to you, let, let me explain for a moment. These Moravian readings are a pattern that was set down, in fact, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago by a group called the Moravians. They were reformers, people who took seriously the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ was by faith in Jesus alone. And it was by faith in Jesus alone to receive from Jesus alone grace alone. And the only way to know these things is by the scriptures. And they took these things seriously and they found themselves incredibly persecuted for that fact. And they wandered for a while throughout Eastern Europe until they were uh, taken under the wing of a a fantastically named gentleman called Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. That's just a great name, isn't it? I I, I tell you, I'm not making it up. Um, But he gave them some land in Moravia. 
And there they were able to settle and establish a community. And they set about reading the Bible seriously. Setting aside time every day to, to methodically, systematically read through the Scriptures and encourage one another in them. They also prayed. They prayed actually without stopping. Literally without stopping. As a community, they never, ever stopped praying. Now, do you know what happens when people soak themselves in the Word of God and never stop praying? They start to really care about what God is doing in the world. And this community became pretty much the first community to become moved by God to start sending out missionaries around the world. Powerfully and profoundly, this small group of people who many of you have probably never heard of started sending missionaries around the world. And they sent themselves with little regard to their own well-being. In fact, these missionaries would send themselves and they would go with nothing except for the means for a coffin to be made because they knew that very shortly into their missionary lives they would be sent back in that coffin because their lives would be taken. It would be taken because there, there is a spiritual battle at work within our world. But Christ's love compelled them. It was Moravian missionaries who did just mind-bending things like getting themselves sold into slavery so that they could go and preach the gospel to slave communities that had never heard the gospel before. Does that bend your mind? It bends my mind. Now, I say all of that because we have asked, probably for a couple of years now, that as a church we might read together the Word of God according to these Moravian daily readings. And, and we, we haven't made a huge amount of headway. Many of you prefer to read the Word of God in other ways, according to your own patterns. And can I say, could we just drop the individualism? Can we just let it go? Can we let it die? Now, the reason we ask you to read the Word of God in these ways is not for you. It's for the person that you're going to share the Word of God with. And we want each and every one of you to be speaking the Scriptures with one another. When you're in your transformed communities, I don't want us as a church to be gathering in a transformed community, everybody having read some other part of the Scriptures and having all of their own perspectives about a thousand and one different things. I want you to come knowing that there might be people who are new in the faith, don't even yet know Jesus, but they're going to be reading the exact same thing as you, and you can help them to understand it. Do you understand? Do you understand? Christians, we have to, look, if we are missionaries, we have to stop making it about us. We've got to stop making it about us. We've got to stop primarily going to the Scriptures so that we get another nugget. We've got to go to the Scriptures so that we can share the gold with someone else. Read the same things as one another. And then call somebody and say, hey, in the reading today, I, I felt God was saying this is for you, and I want to encourage you with this. Or, or call someone up and say, let's go for a coffee, and let's chat about what we've been reading together. This is how you get formed in the Word of God together as a community. And for far too long, we just kind of do our own thing. It's not good enough. You've got to stop doing your own thing. 
We read the Moravian readings. Today, one of the Moravian readings is in Mark 8, and it's verses 27 uh, to 38. And I'm just going to read this um, very quickly. Mark 8. And in verse 27, the Bible teaches us that Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. Now, his disciples aren't saying that this is who Jesus is. They're saying this is what people say about you, Jesus, because they can't get their head around you. And Jesus asked them, verse 29, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this, plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now in my Bible, um, that passage of Scripture is helpfully organized into three paragraphs. And I don't know how it looked in the original Greek, but I, I find it kind of helpful for my simple mind. Because it starts to get me to think about a progression that's happening here in this Scripture. You see, in the beginning part of the Scripture, we have this question of Jesus. Who do people say that I am? And there's all sorts of different ideas. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. It's this powerful and profound moment, this absolute pinnacle of Peter's experience. And we often, we can be down on Peter, can't we, as a hothead, and we kind of see him, um, you know, denying Christ. I don't know what it is about us, about people, but we, often, we major on the, the mistakes, don't we? You know, when, when Peter walked on the water, I lost count of the number of times Christian, Christians comment on the fact that he started to sink. It's like, I don't care that he started to sink. He walked on water. This is incredible. And Peter denied Christ. But he knew that he was the Christ. I, 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 just, I, I long for us to celebrate the successes. And not, to, and not to be so obsessed with the failures. Let God heal us in our failures and teach us by these things but he has this incredible moment of understanding that you are the Christ but he doesn't really understand what that means and so when Jesus then starts to describe what that means it means suffering and death 
It's this word Christ. It's the anointed one of God. It's the Messiah. What is Christ? What is Jesus anointed for? He's anointed to come and to suffer and to die, to be the means of salvation and to inaugurate this new kingdom of God, Jesus being the very king. And so Jesus starts to describe what it is to be the Christ, and it means to suffer and to die. And Peter's got a problem with that. Jesus deals with him. But it's not just about Jesus, because then in the third paragraph, Jesus then extends this, calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he talks to, starts to talk about if you lose your life, you find it, but if you try and save your life, you're going to lose it. Now, again, as Christians, we kind of don't let the main thing be the main thing or let the plain thing be the main thing. And for Jesus to say, you must take up your cross and follow me, you know, as Christians, we start to say, oh, what, does he try, what is he trying to say there? What does he mean? And we start to talk about all sorts of esoteric ideas about what taking up your cross might be. A cross is a means of execution. And primarily what Jesus is saying when he says, you must, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. He's talking about death. For the Christian to follow Jesus, it means you die. The call of Jesus upon any and every life is this. It's come and see. You get to come and you get to see who this Jesus is, what he's about, why he is so good. And he is so good. And then he says, come and follow me. And you get to explore and journey and grow with Christ. But the ultimate call of Christ is come and die. It's lose your life so that you might gain the life of Christ. It's lose the way of self so that you might gain the way of Jesus. And it's only for those who are willing to take up their cross, to die to self, that Jesus then commissions them to say, go and make disciples. Because if you haven't learned this way, then what are you going to make them disciples of? What are you going to make them disciples of? Are you going to make them disciples of comfort? Or disciples of fear? Or disciples of, of Christian experience, having a form of godliness but denying its power? If we don't die, then we can't make disciples of the one who brought life through death. If we don't also follow him, dying to self and coming into new life, you can't make a disciple of Jesus. You simply can't. And you're going to beat your head against a brick wall of frustration for the rest of your life if you haven't yet died. This is the gospel. Peter was there just close to Jesus. It was just a small group of the disciples. And he was happy to make this statement of faith, you are the Christ. You know, church, I want to ask us this evening, as missionaries or people who are perhaps just beginning to grasp the idea of what it is to hear the missionary call, are we simply happy with private worship? Because that's what Peter was experiencing. Or are we intent upon saying, yet yeah, not only am I happy with private worship, but I'm also happy to understand that the way of Jesus is one of suffering and death. Not only am I happy to understand it, I'm happy to actually know the way of suffering and death for myself. You know, we've been living as communities and societies and within a world that for 18 months has been doing absolutely everything it can 
to ameliorate the problems of suffering and to limit the numbers of death. And in a natural sense, that is a very right thing to do. But my concern is that Christians, that is forming us spiritually as well. And within our spiritual lives and the call of mission upon our lives, we think that the primary call is to ameliorate our own suffering and to avoid death. In the cause of the cross, in the way of the gospel, it's exactly the opposite. It is the way of suffering, and it only comes through the way of death. Now, if this COVID season has made you think that you're supposed to avoid suffering and death at all costs, then would you let the gospel preach to you? It means giving it all. I'm going to read you a story. And as I read you this story and, and the worship team are going to come, I, I don't know. I was going to invite you maybe to close your eyes and reflect upon the words. You might find it helpful unless it's going to make you fall asleep. In which case, get another cup of coffee and then close your eyes and settle in. This story is called Ragman. And it's by this guy, Walt Wangerin, Jr. And, it's, a, and it's, it's powerful and profound. So, do whatever you need to do to make sure you're not distracted. Ragman. I saw a strange sight. I stumbled upon a story most strange, like nothing my life, my street sense, my sly tongue had ever prepared me for. Hush, child, hush, and I will tell it to you. Even before the dawn one Friday morning, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking the alleys of our city. He was pulling an old cart filled with clothes, both bright and new. And he was calling in a clear tenor voice, rags. Ah, the air was foul and the first light filthy to be crossed by such sweet music. Rags, new rags for old. I take your tired rags, rags. Now, this is a wonder, I thought to myself. For the man stood six feet four, and his arms were like tree limbs, hard and muscular, and his eyes flashed intelligence. Could he find no better job than this, to be a ragman in the inner city? I followed him. My curiosity drove me, and I wasn't disappointed. Soon the ragman saw a woman sitting on her back porch. She was sobbing into a handkerchief sighing and shedding a thousand tears her knees and elbows made a sad x her shoulders shook her heart was breaking the ragman stopped his cart quietly he walked to the woman stepping round tin cans dead toys and pampers give me your rag he said so gently and I'll give you another. He slipped the handkerchief from her eyes. She looked up, and he laid across her palm a linen cloth so clean and new that it shined. She blinked from the gift to the giver. Then, as he began to pull his cart again, the ragman did a strange thing. 
he put her stained handkerchief to his own face and then he began to weep, to sob as grievously as she had done, his shoulders shaking. Yet she was left without a tear. This is a wonder, I breathed to myself. And I followed the sobbing ragman like a child who cannot turn away from mystery. Rags, rags, new rags for old. In a little while, when the sky showed gray beneath the rooftops and I could see the shredded curtains hanging out of black windows, the ragman came upon a girl whose head was wrapped in a bandage, whose eyes were empty. Blood soaked her bandage. A single line of blood ran down her cheek. Now the tall ragman looked upon this child with pity, and he drew a lovely yellow bonnet from his cart. Give me your rag, he said, tracing his own line on her cheek, and I'll give you mine. The child could only gaze at him while he loosened the bandage, removed it and tied it to his own head. The bonnet he set on hers. And I gasped at what I saw, for with the bandage went the wound. Against his brow it ran a darker, more substantial blood, his own. Rags! Rags, I take old rags, cried the sobbing, bleeding, strong, intelligent ragman. The sun hurt both the sky now and my eyes. The ragman seemed more and more to hurry. Are you going to work, he asked a man who leaned against a telephone pole. The man shook his head. The ragman pressed him. Do you have a job? Are you crazy, sneered the other. He pulled away from the pole, revealing the right sleeve of his jacket flat, the cuff stuck into the pocket. He had no arm. So, said the ragman, give me your jacket and I'll give you mine. Such quiet authority in his voice. The one-armed man took off his jacket, so did the ragman, and I trembled at what I saw, for the ragman's arm stayed in its sleeve and when the other put it on he had two good arms thick as tree limbs but the ragman had only one go to work he said after that he found a drunk lying unconscious beneath an army blanket an old man hunched wizened and sick he took that blanket and wrapped it round himself but for the drunk, he left new clothes. And now I had to run to keep up with the ragman, though he was weeping uncontrollably and bleeding freely at the forehead, pulling his cart with one arm, stumbling for drunkenness, falling again and again, exhausted, old, old and sick. Yet he went with terrible speed. On spider's legs, he skittered through the alleys of the city, this mile and the next, until he came to its limits, and then he rushed beyond. I wept to see the change in this man. I hurt to see his sorrow. And yet I needed to see where he was going in such haste, perhaps to know what drove him so.
the little old ragman. He came to a landfill. He came to the garbage pits. And then I wanted to help him in what he did, but I hung back, hiding. He climbed a hill. With tormented labor, he cleared a little space on that hill. Then he sighed. He lay down. He pillowed his head on a handkerchief and a jacket. He covered his bones with an army blanket, and he died. Oh, how I cried to witness that death. I slumped in a junked car and wailed and mourned as one who has no hope because I had come to love the ragman. Every other face had faded in the wonder of this man, and I cherished him, but he died. I sobbed myself to sleep. I did not know, how could I know, that I slept through Friday night and Saturday, and it's night too. But then, on Sunday morning, I was wakened by a violence. Light, pure, hard, demanding light, slammed against my sour face, and I blinked, and I looked, and I saw the last and the first wonder of all. There was the ragman, folding the blanket most carefully, a scar on his forehead, but alive. And besides that, healthy. There was no sign of sorrow nor of age. And all the rags that he had gathered shined for cleanliness. Well, then I lowered my head. And trembling for all that I had seen, I myself walked up to the ragman. I told him my name with shame, for I was a sorry figure next to him. Then I took off all my clothes in that place, and I said to him with dear yearning in my voice, Dress me. He dressed me. My Lord, he put new rags on me, and I am a wonder beside him. The ragman, the ragman, the Christ. This evening we have a, a clear invitation. Jesus invites us to come and to be dressed, not in the filthy rags of our own living, of our own best efforts, but in his clean newness. He wants to grant us new life that he has won at the cost of many bitter tears and all the suffering of his death. And he wants to make us new, newly alive. But do you hear that call? As our narrator followed the ragman and, and the ragman went through to each and every person who, who had need, he said, I wanted to help him. He couldn't help him until he had been made new, but the instinct was right to join in the work of making others new. And indeed, we heard 
the call of the ragman. Indeed, it's the call of Christ on the one who received a, a new arm that he might be able to. And, and the call was this, go to work. Go to work. call upon our lives is incredibly clear this evening. We must come and die. Die that we might live. Die that we might live and make disciples who also can be formed in the way of Christ. He loves you. He's given everything for you. And he wants you to receive this freely and then go to work. As we conclude this evening, we're going to share in communion. And I'm going to ask you to do in this manner. We're going to be led in song right now. And forgive me for taking perhaps a little too much of your time this evening. But please give this moment. As we're led in song, I'm going to invite you to come, as has been our pattern recently, and to receive uh, this cup which has the bread within it. And if you're saying, yes, I want to die to self so that I might live in the way of Christ, I'm willing to go to work with my Christ in this world, to hear his commission and call and go with him, then would you come and would you take this cup, go find your seat, and as we're being led in song, just commit yourself, recommit yourself, allow him to recommission you in these ways, and take and eat and drink. You can't preserve your life. If you try, you're going to spend the rest of your life slowly dying. But if you're willing to give your life, then you'll come to life in Christ. And you'll spend the rest of your life enabling others to come to life as well. If that's the call that you want to follow this evening, then come and take your cup and then go and sit and do some work with Jesus. We're going to be led in song. This is the only thing that we're doing to conclude our time together. Except for me to say, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you've never given your life to Christ, if he's never exchanged your old rags for new clothes, then I'm going to be stood at the front here. And if that's you, come and talk with me and we'll pray. And Jesus will make you new and he'll do so tonight because he is powerful and strong to save and he loves you. So if that's you, come and speak with me. For everyone else, let's do some work with Jesus and then we'll go. Amen. Once again, it's been such a delight to be able to share together as a church this morning. And uh, we know uh, that taking what God has been doing in our lives, we can go and have wonderful weeks with him. Just to um, invite you um, to journey together with one another as we go through the week. We as a church, we don't just gather, but we get going into what God has for us together. And we have these things called transform communities. We would love to help you to connect with other like-minded people who are exploring God's goodness and grace and seeing how they can be a part of his transforming work in the world. So again, hit us up, get in touch. We'd love to help you to connect. Anything that you need, any prayer requests, do let us know. And we'll love to see you again this time next week. God bless you and bye for now.